This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast, episode 23. My name is Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stannis from Twitter. On this week's podcast, we'll be discussing the Watford FA Cup result, look at Saints' current activity in the transfer market, both in terms of an incoming this week past, and what they may do ahead of the 11pm 31st January deadline. Finally, we'll also be looking ahead to the two massive games for Saints this coming week, at home to Brighton and away to West Bromwich Albion. To help me through that, I'm joined by a couple of opinionated thoroughbreds, First up, it's our regular guest, the Chief Sports Writer from the Daily Echo, Adam Leach. Adam, how are we keeping? Yeah, good, thanks, Ben. Good. As some of you uh, may or may not know, I'm a big Roger Federer fan and uh, 20th Grand Slam at the Australian Open, which is absolutely incredible. So uh, we're recording on Sunday, only one in the morning, so I've been in a very, very good mood all day. Is he genuinely the greatest of all time now? Oh, without doubt. I think he might be. He's up there with the greatest sportsman of all time. Well, in my opinion, I think he's absolutely... uh, incredible so yeah he might he might be the greatest sportsman ever i think and certainly the greatest tennis player of all time that's a bold statement that the goat yeah the goat yeah do you know someone someone put i think it was about messi i saw it on twitter a few months ago and they put lionel messi goat and i was like what the heck are they going on about but uh, i finally worked yeah, out that they your meant, age there. i know i know but i finally worked out that they meant greatest of all time but yeah i, I can't say i'm a massive tennis fan adam so i don't uh. really uh I don't really follow t- tennis, swimming, and horse racing. They're not really my things, to be honest. So, uh, oh, but, but good on him. Good on him all the same, obviously. Um, there we go. Um, our second guest is at Lucy Hynett. Lucy Hynett from Twitter. Lucy came on the podcast earlier this season. Got some fantastic feedback. I know she's someone that is very well respected across the fan base. So, Lucy, great to have you on again. How's life in vibrant Sheffield? Uh, life in vibrant Sheffield's very good, thank you. Yes. Good. Good. Um, I also watch the tennis. So I can contribute to that conversation. Excellent. Although I'm not sure you could claim that he's the greatest of all time when there are people like Gouli de Prado roaming the world. But there we go. Yep, that's fair points. Um, maybe you two could set up a separate tennis podcast at some point. <laughs> well, we did have a little debate on Twitter earlier in the week, didn't we, about Hyung Chung's blisters? Uh, yeah, well, I you didn't. I didn't, did you see how big they were? Because I feel you were making judgments on blisters without really understanding. Uh, I I just I just thought. Um, I thought it was the first Grand Slam semi. You shouldn't be pulling out because of blisters. Come on. Play through the plane, for goodness sake. 
For anyone that's still listening, this is a Southampton <laughs> football podcast. So yeah, um, there we go. Look, we were meant to have um, Glenn Delacour with us as well. Unfortunately, due to a few technical issues, Glenn's not going to be on this week, but we're hoping to get him on next week. So it's just going to be Adam, myself and Lucy. As I said, we're going to have a chat about Watford, transfers, Brighton and West Brom. This is episode 23 of the Total Saints podcast. The Watford game then, a win, a clean sheet and into the next round of the FA Cup. Lucy, I guess overall that's the most important thing. You could say that. I feel they possibly made it a bit more uncomfortable than we'd have liked. Um, looked very much in control, I thought, and put, put out a strong team. And then perhaps things went a bit awry as, as the game went on. I think our frailty uh, defending long balls against big strikers or aerial uh, bombardment seems to be a problem. And... Um, I think that was part of the inspiration between going to three at the back to try and deal with that issue. But we, we kind of lost thrust a bit uh, and lost control. And I think that's what, in the end, made it quite an uncomfortable win. But as we haven't had many wins, I, I won't complain too much. Absolutely. I was going to certainly make sure we touch on that uh, substitution in inverted commas in a minute. But Adam, I guess in terms of the lineup, we'd spoken last week about him potentially playing a in inverted commas, weakened side, but he actually went almost as strong as he could have. Were you surprised at that? I was surprised when he said he was going to do it on Thursday, uh, the pre-match press conference. He was he was very much saying that he was going to go strong. He was taking the cup seriously. And more than anything, he wanted to try and get a win uh, and a win with kind of players that are going to be playing against Brighton and, and West Brom to try and get a little bit of momentum, which I, I makes sense. Um, I, I mean, I guess... If Ryan Bertrand ends up injured for, for Brighton and West Brom, you might then turn around and say, well, was it the smartest tactic because one of your key players ended up getting injured? And that's why you would have played a weaker team. But actually, they're not used to winning games, are they, this season, Southampton? They're, and certainly not at home. They hadn't won at home since November. Uh, Brighton's a huge game. So maybe he's he's made a good call there. And a win's a win, uh, as we said. And you can't, you can't knock it when you haven't had many. And they need to rediscover that winning feeling and to get a bit more confidence, especially playing at home. And so, you know, they got over the line. They might have somewhat limped a little bit over the line. It wasn't, as Lucy said, it wasn't quite as convincing as uh, perhaps it might have been. But nonetheless, it was a win. And so uh, not to be sniffed at, um, at going into two crucial games, I think. Lucy, Jack Stevens, good to see him get his first goal for Saints. Jack, one of our own Stevens, as Adam likes to call him. Obviously, that's going to do his confidence a lot of good, as he may well be someone that will probably pay for the remainder of the season now. Yeah, I think, you know, it's always positive to get a goal at the other end. I'm slightly concerned about the prospect of him being a regular starter for the rest of the season. And I'd have hoped selling Van Dijk for all that money might have meant that we reinforced in that area. Because at the moment, if we switch to a three at the back, which um, Pellegrino's often done, particularly against stronger teams. We're now playing all three senior centre-backs and are left with Bednarek as the other option. But no, um, it's good for Stevens. It's good for him to get a bit of recognition. I feel I've been a bit outspoken on Twitter recently because I've been quite critical of his performances. I felt he'd um, struggled with Harry Kane, which I'm sure many defenders do. But I thought there were several times in that Spurs game where he ran under the ball when he needed to be there on the end of it. So I'm hoping that a bit of a confidence boost will be what he needs to kind of refocus his attention and push on, because that seems to be what's going to be necessary, because it doesn't, a centre-back doesn't seem to be on the agenda going forward. 
Adam, just in terms of Watford, I saw there was a video that had gone viral, I think, if that's the uh, the technical term these days, of their players having a bit of a contretemps with the fans, almost like Saints did after Crystal Palace. Obviously, it was the manager's first game, but I think there were certainly questions around how much interest they showed as well. So as Lucy sort of mentions, one that wasn't necessarily convincing it against the team that looked pretty lethargic themselves. I mean, you to go give Watford a small amount of slack in that I think they had 13 players injured. I mean, that's that is some injury list they've got. I mean, it's it's like uh, they've got virtually a, their their first team uh, out injured. And what what can you do? The guy's just come in. He's only had a couple of days to work with them. He's just putting out probably on advice from other members of his coaching staff the best that he thinks uh, he can put out. Um, and it was interesting because the Watford fans were incredibly negative. They were singing very derogatory songs about their own team pretty much from the moment the game kicked off uh, until after it finished. And then, of course, as we as we uh, saw, there were the flashpoints of a few players having to be dragged away from arguments with supporters. And um, it, it was interesting in, in, in as much as it did make me think when there's been a few moments with, with like that with Saints fans, and we spoke a few weeks ago after the Fulham win about the uh, slightly odd reaction amongst the, the neutrals and the Fulham fans to the negativity that was being thrown at members of the team, and particularly Pellegrino in that game in which they won. And it did make you realise uh, when you saw it like that, you kind of thought, well, they were almost, a, a, they almost felt like they were another player against Watford for the entire match. It almost felt like they were egging them on to lose, which is an interesting dynamic and certainly I think is a for, for all Saints fans there who probably sense that as well uh, to learn perhaps going forward um, this period when we've spoken about this is the real time to, to get behind the team because this is when they need it most even if you're unhappy with the way some things are during the 90 minutes that the team needs your support because the way that the Watford fans were with their team uh, I think they made it an awful lot harder for them than it already was, which with a huge injury list uh, was difficult enough anyway. And just in terms of Saints, Adam, obviously there was a decent sized crowd and I guess that comes down to the club sensibly pricing the tickets. I think there was obviously an element of frustration towards the end of the game, but a, a decent backing for a team that obviously haven't won at home since November. Yeah, definitely. And you get different um, different types of people coming to this game as well, though. So it's always very hard to judge um, a, a lot of regular season ticket holders I think feel given the price they pay that it that they shouldn't be having to pay for early cup rounds tickets as well uh, and I think they a lot of people vote with their feet and because the ticket prices are then slashed you get an awful lot of people who take the opportunity to come who normally perhaps would be priced out of Premier League football people are able to bring their kids that might not normally come so you do get a very different atmosphere so I think it's quite it's good. It's good for the future of the club that these people are coming along. But I think it's too. It's pretty hard to gauge too much uh, when you have cup games like that. Lucy, we're going to talk about the substitution. I mean, obviously, let's set the record straight. Pellegrino won the game. He's through to the next round. He's got one round further than Claude Puel got last season. He was deemed a, a good manager in terms of the season that he had. But there was a lot of focus around the substitution. I know Adam Blackmore asked him about it afterwards. And, you know, I actually thought Pellegrino gave a fairly good answer. But whether it was still the right thing to do in terms of what the game was like, I wasn't quite sure. But he obviously brought Yoshida on, took Buffal off, changed the five at the back. And after the game, you know, he very much talked about wanting to deal with the Watford aerial presence, learning a lesson from a couple of weeks beforehand. But the fact was, my view, Saints were pretty much on top, taking the game to Watford. And it was actually that substitution that invited the pressure and almost made Watford think, right, let's go at them. Let's play long ball football. Let's put some balls into the area. So we kind of almost 
preempted it, but actually it helped make the decision for them to start having a go at us. And by the end, you know, we were sort of hanging on a bit. Yeah, um, I think <clears throat> I can understand that he wanted to learn from last time where we seemed to really struggle with their aerial presence. And I can understand how you think, oh, it's the same opposition. We've got to think ahead. What did they do last time? Let's let's respond. But as you said, we kind of preempted it. We kind of channeled them into playing a certain way. And I don't think that situation was actually like the last game because this week we had control. We seemed to have a threat on goal. I mean, Hoybier could have scored and, and we had opportunities and it wasn't like we needed to to kind of drop off because we, we seemed to be in control. And, and it was quite disappointing that he seemed to almost assume that we'd lose control and, and then kind of automatically pull back. And I think it's been that risk aversion and that kind of response to go, you know, defending a lead, which has been, you know, the major worry. And it's great because we have held on, but you have to wonder against um, a team that didn't have a million injuries and perhaps was hiring confidence and, you know, had a positive crowd behind them. Would we have got such luck? And I'm a bit concerned about that, really. Adam, your view on it as well. Obviously, he did win the game, but do you kind of agree that that was a bit of a momentum swinger in terms of the way the game was being played? To an extent, but then uh, it's a cup tie. The team Watford were one nil down. They were all they brought on a couple of big players like Kaka. They were always going to just start wanging it up the pitch. I, I don't think that his substitution for me necessarily invited that. I think it was inevitable that that was coming anyway. And and maybe if you want to attempt to give him credit. He tried to almost preempt the fact that was happening and make Saints stronger in the area that Watford were going to attack. Now, the thing was, I, I guess the counter argument would be that Watford didn't have a lot of quality up there. I mean, it was a totally different story to uh, Vicarage Road, uh, mainly because of the absence of Troy Deeney. Um, I mean, Watford were completely and utterly toothless in attack without Deeney and Akaka. Really, I I didn't think he was much of a threat other than uh, a nuisance value, to be completely honest, for the majority of the time at Vicarage Road when he came on. And I thought, well, I didn't really see there was that much to worry about. But then when confidence is is as it is at Saints, I I think that Pellegrino was just trying to do something to help his team out. Now, personally, I tend to agree. It's not it's not personally what I would have done, but. At the same time, they got over the line. However, they managed it. They did get over the line. And so I wouldn't want to criticise him too much. He's been criticised a few times this season for not reacting when teams have changed and they've gone direct and things like that. Remember like the uh, criticism after Palace. This time, he's tried to react. In fact, he's tried to preempt really. And Watford have ended up playing that way. And he gets criticised for that as well. So he's a bit... Damned if you do and damned if you don't, I think. I'm just wondering, because, you know, you're talking about, well, you know, it's good that he's preempted what's going to happen. I'm still not convinced we've seen him react. We've seen him not do enough and fail to react, you know, making substitutions too late or the wrong substitutions, which I think was particularly obvious in that Palace game. And now this week we've seen him attempt to preempt a tactic that he's familiar with and has seen already. I'm still not convinced we've seen him watch a team do something and then respond in a way which makes sense. I don't know if anyone else feels that. I think that's a fair point. Yeah, because I I guess the other thing I was going to add as well, Adam, is, you know, he's mentioned confidence a few times and we obviously realise that they are fragile. But by making that sort of substitution and almost saying, 
we are expecting an onslaught kind of that isn't really going to help confidence in my view well uh, I, I can't argue that that's one that's one argument for it that's one way of of looking at it and i don't i'm not one of these people that subscribes to the view that just because a team's won a game that they should be exempt from all criticism or scrutiny or analysis i certainly don't feel that but at the moment, I just think that wins are so rare. I think, I think we just got to be glad that they got one and they got over <laughs> the line somehow. To be honest, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there are bigger, there are much bigger threats and much bigger tests to come. Uh, but at least, for me, at least he reacted. At least he he tried to do something. As I said, it, it personally, it's probably not what I would have done. I, I I agree. I would have liked to have almost seen them gone. A little bit more offensive because I think there was probably more goals for them but then when the game's gone the way it has I suppose and the confidence is low and I suppose even from the manager's point of view perhaps his confidence in the players is a bit low he stood there trying to think what he can do to help them out now I think we all three of us are in agreement that there's probably not what we would have done to try and help them out but nonetheless he he has done something and I think that given um, the criticism that like Lucy repeated there of him not, not reacting quickly enough to these problems. I think the fact that he tried and, and tried to learn the lesson from what happened at Vicarage Road was something positive to some extent. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And I think let's, as you say, let, let's wallow in the fact that we've won a football match and that's the most important thing. And I was going to add there, Adam, you know, thinking about it now, that's one defeat in six for Saints. So as you mentioned there, there are some small signs of progression. Obviously, it's a massive week and we need to get something out of it. But you're now going into those two games with a little bit more confidence than you obviously had at the turn of the year. Not you personally, but Saints. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they are. There, there are signs of improvement. And he's talking quite bullishly about the fact that um, he, well, as bullishly as he ever talks, that, that he feels that he can sense there is a forward momentum behind them at the moment. It might not be uh, a huge wind at their back uh, as such it's not hurricane pushing them along but there's at least uh, there's at least a breeze behind them <laughs> at the moment which is is something and it's coming at a, a good time for them really and so you might say it's long overdue and, and that would probably be fair enough but if they're going to get out of the mess that they're in that really this is the time isn't it now these two games coming up and so the fight back really has to start and and the fact they've got a little semblance of confidence they have won a couple of games they've got a couple of big draws against tricky uh, opposition actually there is a sense that it is moving forward not as quickly as people might like yep fair enough but it but it is slowly going in the right direction I think Lucy the fifth round draw will be made shortly before this podcast is released on Monday the 29th are you one of those people that looks to try and get one of the big boys away and get a good day out or do you sort of you know ideally not trying to get a banana skin or wanting to just anyone at home I mean is there anyone particularly that you're uh, keen for Saints to draw in the round? I'm thinking anyone at home just because we were talking about you know the importance of confidence and momentum and breezes and hurricanes and whatever we were talking about <laughs> um, and I think it'd be really important to have the opportunity to get into kind of winning ways and, and carry on momentum and if at that time uh, Pellegrino decides that he perhaps wants to rotate the squad, then an easier game at home would probably be a better time to do that. I'm not really one of those people that subscribes to a big day out away, not at this stage anyway, because I think it's about, you know, going as far as you can, getting wins um, and kind of going as positively as you can, I guess. Yeah. And what about you, Adam? I guess as a journalist, the least trouble you can do, the better. 
Home. Anybody at home. <laughs> I <laughs> thought you might say that. Home, but I don't have to go very far. That's all I care about. It's, uh, yeah, um, it, well, it's going to come, well, when you look at where the fixture comes in, there's obviously a, a lot of travel to be done uh, over that period in end of February and through March. So I'm just very, very keen on a home tie from a selfish point of view. Yeah, obviously. And I, I was thinking, if not, maybe it'd be nice to get one of our, in inverted commas, rivals, you know, a Portsmouth, a Bournemouth or a Liverpool. But then I realised that none of them have made it as far as us. So that'll be difficult. So, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. You were waiting to do that one, weren't you? I could tell. Yeah, you had that teed up, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I could have ended that all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I could have ended the section on that bit as well. So I'm going to cut it right there. As we all know, Saints broke their club record transfer fee for the second time this season by signing Guido Carrillo for 19.2 million. Lucy, before I give a quick overview of him, I know there's been some conjecture this week about how to pronounce his surname, but we agreed that it's Carrillo or is it any different to that? Um, I think it's actually Carrillo now, but I've gone with I've gone with Carrillo because apparently that's okay in Spanish, but not Argentinian. But it might be the best general one because there are so many different dialects. I got quite confused and a bit out of my depth, if I'm totally honest. But it definitely isn't Carrillo, which I heard a lot of when we were talking about possible chants. (laughs) And then it got into Amarillo and and a long, long conversation about that. So it's definitely not that. Okay, fine. So I'm going to stick with Guido Carrillo, which at least makes him sound South American. And Guido, if you're listening, I apologise if I'm saying it wrong. Um, Anyway... Guido Carrillo joined, um, 26 years old, born in Argentina, previously played for Estudiantes and Monaco. He scored 63 goals and 236 career appearances, which I uh, roughly worked out was about one in every three and three quarter games. And he was part of Monaco's League One 2016-17 title winning squad. Adam, one that you've been talking about for a while, certainly in the Daily Echo, but I guess for Saints, nice to get it signed and sealed. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think they were glad to eventually get this one over the line a couple of things on on what you said and and number one i don't think his surname matters because when he came on at the weekend everybody just uh, the fans were just guido 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 you're like well that's that's a, it's a terrible uh unimaginative chant but that is clearly what he's lumbered with whether he's here for uh for six months or whether he's here for 10 years so he is listening to this podcast i imagine he'll be incredibly confused he doesn't speak any english so, uh, or maybe it'll be quiet at home. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, t- I mean, to be fair, Tiff Nadell was saying before Christmas, wasn't he, that our, some of our chants were too complicated. So maybe that's right. Yeah, well, that's, it's a simple one. I don't think anybody's going to forget it. Uh, but on on a serious note, in terms of his signing, yeah, I think Saints were just glad to get it over the line. I mean, I mean we've been talking about it for a long time. He's been in the, certainly in our paper, been talked about for, well, the whole month, pretty much. So it's taken a while to, to get the deal done. The Saints have, eventually paid a premium for him. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, we've spoken on the podcast. And I've said that uh, Saints aren't above the game, as it were, and the transfer game um, that everybody's playing. Um, and, and, and it's particularly hard to navigate in January. They needed a player. I think that they, by, by all accounts, and from speaking to counterparts in France as well about him, that I, I think that they've uh, very much exceeded what most people would consider his normal value. Uh, but he's a player that they of the profile that they want, a big, tall, uh, rangy, target man type striker who's strong in the air. And there was no doubt they had to get him in January. They've obviously waited and waited and waited trying to negotiate the best deal possible. And in the end, I think they've just had to 
had to get on with it basically and had to pay what they had to pay to get him out of Monaco. Um, and so we hope he does the job now. Absolutely. And Lucy, I guess the one positive is that we know he's worked with Pellegrino before. So bearing in mind our current predicament, that's hopefully something that will keep our fingers crossed means he hits the ground running a bit sooner than uh, other strikers might. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's something positive in the idea that although we've paid over the odds, it's a player we wanted. You know, and, they, and they've gone all out to kind of secure that target because I think there's been suspicion in the past that perhaps Les Reed kind of goes for a low balling, cheap deal, you know, not necessarily who he originally wanted or, you know, he spends a long time on a particular deal to get the lowest price he possibly can. Um, so, you know, I think there's something positive in the idea that they've accepted the problems with the market as it stands and they've kind of just gone for it. I think with Carrillo, he's not really a conventional target man from what I've seen in Ligue 1. He's more kind of box-in-the-box poacher type. I mean, I don't know if anyone saw it, but there was um, a chart going round of his latest, you know, his last 50 shots or something in Ligue 1, and he had almost all of them within 18 yards of 10 yards of goal. Um, So he's, you know, he's very much looking to get on the end of things. I don't think he would normally be the type that would hold the ball up in a kind of Pella style. But I think because Pellegrino's worked with him before and because 26 isn't that old for a target man style striker, I'm wondering if Pellegrino sees potential to mould him into something that is more Pella style in terms of hold up play. So, yeah, I'm not sure if he's a natural yet. But um, I I feel quite optimistic that he'll be able to become that. And he's also pretty good at a kind of flick on and those kind of things. You know, if you can push a winger past him, he'll generally do quite well to find him. So that, that I think that's a positive. But no, I'm I'm feeling positive about transfer. Um, a bit more positive than I was when I first heard about it because it seems that although he hasn't had many starts, his goals to minute ratio is quite good. I think it's only bettered in Liga since the start of 16-17 by Neymar, Cavani and Lacazette. So, you know, that those are pretty good people to be behind in, in those stakes. I found myself watching a 2015-16 video of him on YouTube in true sort of Steve Derrida, Sofian Buffel style, and he looked pretty decent. I, I have to agree with what Lucy said, Adam. He looked pretty powerful, not afraid to sort of jump in, head the ball, you know, throw himself in there. And it relates back to what we said last week, which is obviously if the board are going to stick with Pellegrino as manager, then, as Lucy said there, going to get his targets and supporting him in terms of the players he wants to bring in needs to be managed alongside keeping him in the job, really. Yeah, and there's no doubt in in uh, Carrillo that they've they've obviously gone and bought his man. Um, it's not something that they do on a massively regular basis. They they do I think tend to give the manager one or two that they want. We saw it with Kuman. We saw it with I think even Claude managed to get one in that, that he wanted and absolutely or two in fact. And and now uh, Pellegrino's been able to bring in one that he wanted. And I think it's quite uh, sensible if you're gonna if you're gonna back the manager then and. We've said before, it, you need to give him some more tools. He he needs players that of the type that he wants. And he obviously wanted a, a player very much in, in the mould of whatever he thinks Carrillo's going to bring. And, and the board have delivered him. And I, I tend to agree with Lucy in that I think credit to the Saints board for getting this one over the line. I think you know, it would have been nicer had it happened a bit earlier. But nonetheless, it's done. And that's the most important thing now. He was obviously their top target in that position. He was their number one target. Uh, and they've got him. They obviously missed their number one target in the other position they're going for in, in Theo Walcott. But they managed to get Carrillo over the line. So 
yeah, they've had to pay a bit more, but uh, I, I think it was the right thing to do to pay it, to get him in. And, and in fact, you know, I don't know what the situation is with Monaco. Obviously, we weren't privy to all the discussions, but um, I think there was maybe an argument for maybe even if they could have done it to have done it earlier. But I'm just I'm just glad that they have got it over the line. They've got him in. And best of all, they have got him in before the weekend. They gave him a little bit of time. And that means that should they want him now, you would figure that he would be ready to start against Brighton. I think that's quite important uh, because these are two such massive games that if you're going to spend big money, you really want those players to be having an impact in these matches. Because if these two matches go really were to go really badly, well, you would start to question what the point of spending club record fees on players are because um, you might well not be playing in the Premier League next year. So it's good to have him in to try and have him there to help in these two huge games. And as much as I think he's a Pellegrino signing, um, you know, I think they are trying to back the manager. I'm also going on the assumption that they wouldn't, you know, he wasn't necessarily a poor target. You know, he wasn't necessarily someone they've avoided, but perhaps Pellegrino has been the tipping point. I don't think they've spent record fee on someone they weren't convinced by, but the manager had convinced them of. I think, as you say, so the analysts uh, department who obviously watch a lot of players across Europe would at least be able to back mm. up and say, yeah, he's someone that could do a job over the next 12, 18, 24 months, whoever is in charge. Although the fact that Pellegrino is the manager just helps to push it over the line a bit more, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's what I think. Exactly. And Adam, at time of recording, there's sort of slightly over three days to go until the um, transfer window shuts. Are we... Confident. I know Pellegrino sort of mentioned they're, they're working on one more target. I think we probably know which position that's for, not necessarily the player. But are we confident that something may happen there or do you think um, it's going to prove challenging? Well, who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's such a lottery at this time. I, th- I think they're pretty much every club in the Premier League, I think, barring perhaps just one or two, are aiming to get deals over the line before Wednesday and Southampton are among them, whether that happens or not. Is anybody's guess, really? Uh, obviously, Quincy Promise is the one that... Um, there's obviously number two on the list after Walcott for that attacking midfield position and to add some pace. They're trying to get it done. I think that they've had probably some signals that, that it could happen. It's still not easy. At the end of the day, Spartak Moscow are not going to want to lose him in the middle of the season. Um, they, they would like him, I think, by all accounts, they would like him to stay till the end of the season. I think they're a bit, a bit like Saints have been a lot of the time with some of their really big players they're a bit more open-minded as to what happens in the summer when they've got time to properly replace them. But they probably wouldn't want to be losing their best players now. Uh, So it's going to be difficult. Uh, Who knows? By the time this podcast goes out, things could have changed, as I've said before. I think the thing with January is only a full, I think, would try and predict what's uh, going to happen because things change so quickly. Um, The transfer game is not uh, grossly more complicated behind the scenes than... Uh, it is when people talk about it. At the end of the day, it's, it's a business, it's a negotiation, it's two sides, or three sides really, if you include the player, trying to uh, get the best that they can, whatever that is. And and people's opinions and minds change all the time. And as deadlines tick down, uh, things happen. I mean, the, I think the thing for Saints is that it would be good to not have the distraction on deadline day if they could help it, because they've got a very, very important game on deadline day. And I think all attention where possible, needs to be focused on that. But if some things end up going to the last minute, well, so be it. You mentioned Quincy Promise there. I know you have to be careful what you say, and certainly I've heard from a couple of people indirectly that negotiations are still 
moving in a forward direction, so hopefully that'll be the case. But for anyone that doesn't know Quincy Promise, I asked Lucy before the podcast to put together a little Lucy on Quincy stat pack. So, Lucy, I wondered if you could just run through uh, some info that you've got on him, just for anyone that's listening and doesn't know who he is. So, Quincy, I'm going to call him Quincy, like he's my friend. Um, He's 26. (laughs) He's Dutch. He started making a name for himself at 20 with, obviously, uh, Dusan Tadic. In 2014, he had, it was a big year for him. He made his debut for Holland. He earned his move to Spartak. And since the beginning of 2016, he's been a regular starter for Holland. He's earned 25 caps and has often deputised for Iron Robin. He can play on both wings. He's comfortable cutting into shoot and going wide to cross. So, you know, he can play either side. And he's even occasionally played up front, which is an indication of his finishing ability. He's technically excellent and fast across the floor. Um, in the Russian league so far, he's averaged roughly a goal every other game, um, which is pretty excellent, I think, for a, for a winger. Um, and in this season, in 16 starts, he's managed 10 goals and six assists, as well as four Man of the Match awards. And for those who I've heard have been very cynical about him because he plays in Russia, I thought I'd check out his Champions League performance this season, where he's managed a pair of goals and a pair of assists in five games. Excellent, excellent. Well, there you go. He sounds perfect, doesn't he? And I know that's the one thing, Adam. Lots of people have mentioned um, that we maybe haven't replaced Sadio Mane. So based on what Lucy said there, and I think, uh, again, I've not watched the YouTube on, on Quincy, but uh, based on those sort of stats and the maybe what the team is lacking, he sounds like he could be, in inverted commas, a Sadio Mane replacement finally. Well, I mean, what have people have been saying for a long time, that they haven't replaced Pele Romane. What are they doing in this window? They're getting in pace and in attacking midfield area. And they're getting in a big target man striker. So they're, they're basically that is, in effect, the, the holes that they've had in their squad since they've gone. They are obviously attempting, they are recognising that now and attempting to plug those gaps where they can. 18 months too late. Well, I mean, uh, that's that's a debate to be had another time. I think we could have another pod on that, really. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they're, they're, that's clearly the areas they need. I know been mentioned about centre back and things, but you could you've got to prioritise and, and for me the the chronic problem in the last eighteen months has been goal scoring uh, and and a lack of it more you know from Saints' point of view they've got to address that. Teams that can score goals are always the ones that have got the best chance of staying in the division. And at the moment Saints are not a team that score many goals and that puts them uh, in immediate danger, I think, um as we're seeing. So uh, an attempt to address that I think is good. Uh, and as I say, I'm wary to say too much just because some of the conversations I've had about this are, are, are off the record and private. And also right. because I, I, I'm, I'm very aware that uh, of how things develop in January, having been close to a lot of January windows and, and how quickly things change um, and how unexpectedly they change as well. But I, I think I'm encouraged that Saints are, whether it's whether it should have happened before or not, whatever, Leaving that to one side, they are targeting the areas that I think that they need to target. I think that's the most encouraging thing. Absolutely. And I totally respect your opinion on that. Lucy? I'm just slightly concerned that we're in a bit of a time lag. So I can totally see that these are the two replacements for Pella and Mane that 18 months ago we really needed. And perhaps Bufal was meant to be that Mane replacement, although a different kind of player and hasn't quite reached those heights. Although I think we've seen him come a long way this season. But I'm slightly concerned that perhaps in a year or 18 months' time, we might say, why, when we sold Virgil van Dijk, did we not buy a player to replace him? 
Mm. So, you know, and I totally accept that our major priority has been attack. But I wonder now that we fixed or attempted to fix that problem, we'll see whether it works, whether we'll then say, well, we weakened our defence and why didn't we do anything about it? That's my only concern. Um, but no, I think it, it bodes really well if we can get Promise in. Um, he's clearly the kind of player we've lacked. I'm slightly concerned by the idea that Jurgen Klopp has been apparently very keen on Quincy Promise in the past. And, I, and I'm slightly concerned that it would only feed the uh, Southampton to Liverpool uh, connection. Um, but I think that's also an indication of him being that kind of final finished product, which perhaps we haven't bought in the past. We, we went for Bufald, who was relatively inexperienced, and people like Hoybier, again, relatively inexperienced. Whereas this time we seem to be going for someone who, you know, is approaching the peak of their career and is someone who can make an immediate impact, which let's face it in our scenario in our in our current situation you most definitely need and you can see that was probably the reason that they went for Theo Walcott in the first place was because they felt he knows the league and would make an immediate impact well i think in terms of the just quickly on the um the mane pera replacement i think from saint i think the saints would argue or as they have to me that uh, they they have replaced them but i think they just tried to go down a different route uh, in terms of as as you said lucy really with uh, they got Buffal and Redmond. They've gone uh, Austin and Gabbiadini. They've tried to just do something, I think, a little bit different, and they've moved, tried to move away from, you know, a formula that really, let's be honest, has been successful for a period of time for them with a bigger target man and, and some pace in behind. They've tried to change things up a little bit, but I think now uh, it's coming. It's kind of an acceptance that I think they need to go back to that sort of style of play. I think, which for me is is quite right. And I think there was there was something quite admirable in their attempt to go down a different path. And I think it was an attempt, if if I've read it correctly, you know, to go back to this Southampton way of playing attractive attacking football. But the problem has been that we haven't necessarily had managers that are comfortable with playing that way. So you've had players like Gabbiadini and Bufal who don't have raw physical capabilities. You know, they're very technical players. And, and we haven't been able to play to their strengths. So I think that's why we're going back to the old formula where perhaps when things aren't going great, you can hoik a ball up to them and they'll either break you with pace or, you know, or hold the ball up for others to join in. And, and it's it's not a sophisticated brand of football, but perhaps given our situation, we need something that's effective rather than sophisticated. Yeah, I, I think that perhaps... Uh, uh, not just the Southampton way. I think perhaps the motivation is that desire to move on, move the club mm. on to another level. That lot, all the talk of European football of being, you know, ready for the Champions League in in however many years. Yeah, it probably is a different brand of football. But and I, and I guess that, that you could argue, I, I can understand the argument that it's admirable to try and go down that way. Maybe it was a sign of ambition, but I just think maybe that was Saints perhaps getting uh, perhaps a bit too ahead of themselves in some ways. And, mm. and actually, I, I mean, personally, I, I know not everybody did, but I really, even though at times it was direct and so on and so forth, I really enjoyed the the Cumin era and the Cumin years. And I thought that actually Saints were very exciting to watch. They scored a lot of goals. That It was at times quite unpredictable, which I think made it exciting as well. But I, I quite enjoyed uh, watching the team in that period. And, and I felt they were exciting. And I think that, 
Saints, it comes back to this whole debate. And again, I don't want to retread it all. We talked about it in the, some of the very, very early pods of this uh, of this sense that I have of this sort of identity crisis about the football club in general and who they are and where they're going, which I think has only been added to by the, the takeover or sorry, partnership with the gals and, and what their motivation is. And I think that part of the part of the transfer strategy has kind of got everything's kind of got all mixed up in that, really. And I think that was this attempt to be moving on and to be leaving all this behind and to be going on to bigger and better things. But perhaps the, the reality of the situation, the reality of the Premier League dictates that without a lot of money, Saints aren't going to make that step up. So maybe they're better off just trying to replicate the successes that they've had in some ways. And I, I appreciate maybe that sounds really unambitious for them, but I, I think it's more realistic, to be honest. It'll be interesting to see. I, I think certainly I agree with Lucy about the centre-back, but I guess they've only got a certain amount of cash they want to spend. Just to sort of finish this transfer section then, Lucy, if Saints could negotiate a deal with Spartak and get Quincy promising alongside Guido, 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 <laughs> would you see that as a successful transfer window or not? It would exceed my expectations in terms of I, I wouldn't have expected we would be in this running for someone like Quincy Promise. I would have assumed he'd have gone to a a club certainly in more stable position than we are and, and perhaps even a top six side. So, you know, that would be good. Um, I'm still going to prattle on about the centre back issue, which is slightly putting a dent in my assessment of the window. And it's not even just the centre-back issue. It's just that I think we're lacking leadership at the moment because what Virgil van Dijk gave you not only was someone who could head a ball really well, but someone that also was a great communicator at the back who told people where to stand and, you know, who to mark and all that sort of stuff. Um, And I felt at times this season we've sort of lost our way in games. I think it was very telling in the Spurs game when um, I think Stevens and Cedric both went to Pellegrino when Spurs changed shape to kind of ask where they what they should do. I think Gary Neville raised it in his commentary, basically was like, why can't you work this out between you? You know, why isn't there someone taking charge of the situation and telling people how to respond? And I think that's what we're really going to lack going forward is someone who is naturally, you know, a leader, a communicator. I think Hoot is growing into that role, but I think it's going to become a bit of a problem. So. To come back to the question, I'd be happy with the transfer window, but I'd have liked to send it back. So we find ourselves at the start of a really big week for Saints, arguably one of the biggest weeks in the recent history of Saints. Brighton at home, West Bromwich Albion away. Brighton arrive at St Mary's on Wednesday, one point and two places ahead of Saints. Their last six away games, one none, drawn one, lost five. And before their game at Middlesbrough, the stats told me that they'd not scored an away goal in over 600 minutes. Bearing in mind, Glenn Murray's winner in the FA Cup was in the last minute. That's nearly 700 minutes without an away goal. Adam, it's reached that critical point of the season where, come on, even you've got to agree, this is must win. No, and this never must win. <laughs> but <laughs> you're not going to get me to say it. So um, it was a good try. Nice try. Yeah, it was good effort. Now or never. Brave effort. We know that these are absolutely vital matches, aren't they? They're absolutely <laughs> huge. But I, they're not I, must win. No. No, no, because must win. Oh, we've had this conversation. I'm not going to go through it all again. Um, but they're, they're, they're two colossal games. Let's go colossal games. Um but, but mainly because they actually come back to back as well, which makes it an even bigger period, really. But 
I think they need to be uh, aiming for a minimum of four points. I think if they took four points, I, I think you could be pretty happy with that, uh, pretty comfortable. I think if, if you were being super fussy, I think the three really you would want to come on Wednesday against Brighton at home. I think that that would really set them up to go to West Brom and, and just try and get something and any result away from home is a good result. And I think there's no reason to see that they shouldn't be able to beat Brighton, to be honest. We know it won't be an easy game because we know that Brighton uh, are very well drilled and well organised under Chris Hewton. And I think that they will come and they will see a nil-nil draw at Saints as a pretty solid result for them. It keeps Saints below them, which is the most important thing for them. So I've not got high hopes of a particularly good game of football, I've got to say, because I think it'll be a very nervy affair. Brighton will get men behind the ball. If Saints could get an early goal like they did against Watford, then I think that that might well uh, change things a little bit, hopefully. But uh, otherwise, I think it might be an evening for trying to stay a bit patient and stay with them and, and hope that they can get something. I think if you offer me four points from Brighton at home and West Brom away, Adam, I'd snap your hand off right now. But uh, Lucy, let, I, I mean, let's be positive. How does Saints go about getting the three points? Who'd been your starting lineup? Oh, I'll be put me on the spot. Exactly. Um, <laughs> do you want a full 11? No, no, no. I mean, just just the key players, because I, I was interested to get your get your viewpoint as well. I mean, obviously, the two centre backs for them are, are well known for having a, a decent season and clearing up balls in the the air and stuff. So I was interested to see whether you would start career or maybe play someone like the pace of Shane Long. So yeah, I mean, just just the sort of key three or four players that you think should start really. Um, the striker position. Now, yeah, that's interesting because do you play them at their strengths and play Carrillo? I think Dunk's quite swift along the floor, but um. Duffy, I think, has problems, I think, uh, if he's pressed by someone. So, yeah, no, I think that's quite an interesting conundrum. Um, I'm obviously not party to how fit Carrillo is, how ready to go he is. I think I'd be tempted to start him to see how he got on um, and, and maybe use Shane Long's pace, you know, if we haven't got the breakthrough and we need to stretch him a bit more. I think maybe what we haven't explored is the idea of Shane Long playing off the right wing. Because well, yeah, it's interesting you say that because I raised that point to Adam after the Watford game because I agree with you. I think that's something he could do and mm. that's something that he could bring to the team. Yeah, I think he's really good actually when he stretches a team, runs channels, you know, does that kind of tireless running which we've always identified him with. And if you know he isn't the person on the end of the ball, I don't think that's a naturally the worst thing to happen, given that he tends to struggle in high pressure finishing situations. Just wonder if that could work, add something different, and and try and press them but and I suppose that's what they think promise would do in a more general way but we've never seen long play in that kind of area for Pellegrino and Brighton Adam I know you were at the Amex earlier in the season it wasn't a classic but just in terms of Brighton so we give them a little bit of air time whereabouts are their threats to be honest with you they haven't got lots of outstanding individuals I don't I don't think when I look at them I don't think there's many players that I look at and go wow you know he's a he's a kind of guy that you've got to be really worried about today but it's more a collective for them. Um, I think that's really been their strength this season. Suppose, and that's mainly how they've got points as is, is a good collective. I suppose they brought in Lacardia, haven't they? Who I think is meant to add a bit more threat. Um, and and Izquierdo has often looked quite good um, with a bit of pace, which I think could worry who maybe if played in certain areas. But he tends yeah. to play off the left wing anyway, so I can't see that being a massive issue. Um, I think... Their main threat does come from Knockout and Izquierdo in terms of those those wide areas. But I do agree that they don't seem to be very sharp. 
And I think there's rumours, Adam, possibly of them trying to get Leonardo Ajaur on loan from Leicester, who's obviously ex-Brighton player, but whether, whether they'll do that in time for Wednesday. But he's obviously someone else that they can lump up front if they need to. Yeah, I, I, I just think that they'll come, they'll be well-drilled, well-organised, they'll sit deep, uh, and they'll attempt to use the pace that they have got on the break. And, and that'll be it. I think they'll be very much counter-attacking. I don't think they're going to be pressing mm. Saints. I think that they will come and set their stall out very much to try and make it a very, very nervy night for Saints because I think they'll know if we, the longer we keep this nil-nil, probably the better the chance we've got. The crowd might turn a little bit. We might actually come into it and, and we might even get the odd chance here and there. But I don't think they're going to come and be adventurous. I think it's going to be very, I, I would predict it'll be very much a case of them coming for a point and sort of see what happens if something better happens and great. But if not, let's try not to concede a goal. So I think that's what Saints are going to be up against. I imagine that they'll have probably uh, a pretty high percentage of possession it's just a case of what they can do with it just finally before we do our ill-fated predictions Lucy Adam spoke very highly of the St Mary's crowd after the Tottenham game you know sticking behind them for 90 minutes it's obviously going to be a nervy game as Adam's mentioned there so how important is it that the fans play their part and be positive and try to stick behind the team for 90 minutes yeah I don't I don't mind to be too self-righteous and be like yeah guys you don't want to keep with them the whole time why wouldn't you um but no, I, I, it's going to be difficult, isn't it? Because as we say, they're going to sit back. They're going to make it difficult. And I do think it's likely that perhaps we'll need a second half goal to win. Thing. I, don't, I don't see it being a high scoring affair. Um, so, yeah, I think we need to keep patient. And I think the players need to be patient. And we all need to. So it's, I always think it's quite difficult at football matches when you need to be patient because you kind of want to urge them on, but you don't want to seem impatient. But, uh, yeah, we just need to stick behind them and, and try and makes them feel that we appreciate what they're doing, even if it's not always working. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. All right. Some predictions then, Adam. So I was just thinking, Watford, you went 2-0. I went 1-1 replay. So actually, I think you probably just about won that one. So well yep, done. Yeah, I won that. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Well, um, well, not quite 4 million points. So I didn't get a spot on, but maybe exactly. 2 million. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's uh, three points for that. Well done. Um, so <laughs> in, t- <laughs> in, terms of the, in terms of the Brighton game then, where are you going with that one? Well, 1-0 Saints. Perfect. Okay, we definitely take that. Lucy? Ooh, um, oh, I'll go 1 0 Saints. Okay. Oh, good prediction. Good prediction. Well, I'll go for, we've got a full house here. You won't believe this, Adam. Fall off your seat. But, uh, do you know, I genuinely think that Saints will get the three points. I'm going for 2 1 Saints to beat Brighton, and uh, hopefully that will give us a bit of a lift towards the end of the season. I'm sure we've given the players a massive lift when they all listen to this. Yeah. Big, big confidence boost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was a quick turnaround for Saints after Brighton. They just got three days until they play away at Alan Pardew's West Brom. I also checked the form guide on West Bromwich Albion at home, and theirs is looking a little better than Brighton's away form. Um, they've won one, drawn four, and lost one of their last six home games. Assuming that we do beat Brighton, Adam, then how important is it to pick up at least a draw, as we mentioned there? Yeah, I think, well, when you're playing any of these teams around you, I think the most important thing is that you don't want them getting above you do you that's the, that's the you need to keep them in it you don't want to give them a free pass to try and get away and I think that would be the important thing at West Brom if they were to beat Brighton then I, I still think going up there and getting a point will be a good result and a good return from the week and I think at that point you can start to feel a bit more confident that, that perhaps they're going to navigate themselves out of this problem 
I had in my notes, Lucy, that uh, West Brom would be coming off two tough away games at Liverpool and then they're playing Manchester City during the week. Obviously, their notes are totally irrelevant now because they played absolutely fantastically up at Anfield last night and uh, deserved <laughs> their three points. So I was going to ask if we're getting them at a good time. I'm now going to rephrase it and say, depending what happens at Manchester City, are we getting them at a bad time? I wonder if Pardew might, I wouldn't say throw the game against City. I wonder if he'll rest his attacking players, the likes of Joe Rodriguez, and see if he can put all of his efforts into our game, which slightly daunting. But as good as they were against Liverpool, there's clearly defensive frailty. Um, I noticed that Johnny Evans got an injury in that game as well. They were kind of all crawling around afterwards, weren't they? Um, so that may be where we have an opportunity. A Pardew team's always quite difficult to predict, I feel. Like, they'll go on a run, then they'll go on a bad run, and then they'll go on a good run. So it really depends where we catch them. But I'm I'm feeling kind of optimistic. I've bought myself a ticket, so yep. fairly optimistic. And, and we might be all right, maybe. Good, good. All right. Well, that sounds convincing. So uh, excellent. Um, in, in terms of um, Jay Rodriguez, Adam, I know we spoke about him um, briefly before the West Brom home game. I mean, I'm certainly one of those people that I think it, it was right that he got a fresh start and we moved him on and we obviously got some good money for him. But just in terms of Jay, obviously he was a great lad in and around Saints and it's good to see him doing well, hopefully not next Saturday. Yeah, I think everybody around Southampton uh, Football Club will be pleased for him, the supporters and, and uh, his old teammates and colleagues and everybody who watched him, really. He was a nice lad and um, a wholehearted type of player who just needed a, a clean break, as some players do at times. It just wasn't... He, he just wasn't going to get it back at Saints, I don't think. He, he just needed that move. And, and, yeah, he seems to be doing well again at West Brom. And good luck to him. And, yeah, I, I think he will probably be the main threat for them, won't he, by, by the way they're playing now. And, and Pardew uh, looks like he's very much trying to make him the main man and the focal point. I think that'll be big for Jay as well, because I think that's big for his confidence to be back in that position where he's taking that responsibility and, and being... Uh, the main man for a team again. I think that's that'd be huge for him and his belief. And, uh, and at the moment, he's repaying Pardew, and it'll be it'll be fascinating. I mean, there's so many elements to that game. Sitting here now, obviously, we don't know because we've talked about if Saints beat Brighton, if Saints don't beat Brighton, if it's a draw or uh, or worse. Um, but let's just assume it's a, a worse a draw at the moment. Well, then they're probably feeling like they need to beat West Brom, and I tend to agree with Lucy. Pardew. Um, for for all the, his faults, he's quite a cute manager, and he's not one of these people who who necessarily gets too carried away. And I think he will probably look relatively dispassionately at this week. They haven't got what Saints have got. Saints have got a huge double header because they're playing two teams around them. West Brom have got a game that if they put their first team out and play brilliantly, they'll probably still lose. If they put their bodies on the line, they give everything for 90 minutes, they'll probably still lose. Does he want? his best players exposed to 90 minutes of that before they play Saints, a game that at home they will feel like they have to win to get out. It's a huge game for them as well. It's not These are not just huge games for Saints. That one, especially because West Brom are at home, is massive for them. They will feel that might be make or break for them. So they are going to be so up for it. And I think that he probably will look at the two games um, as a package and try and really prioritise that. So I think that they will get uh, hungry and fresher uh, West Brom, which is why it feels to me so important that those, if we're taking four points, they're safe, that those first three come at home. So Saints have that momentum. 
they don't have all the pressure going to West Brom because I think it's going to be a difficult game to handle and to get out of that with a point would be good. Lucy, just finally, in terms of our season, how big are these two games? I mean, I don't want to tempt fate, but if we say we only get one, two points out of them, how how important is it, do you think, to, to Saints' survival opportunities to, to really make the most of this week? Because I, I guess I'm almost slightly nervous and excited that we find ourselves in another relegation battle a bit like the old days, but this time next week it could be doom and gloom. Yeah, I, I think it would be a wholly justified doom and gloom. The fact is that we need points desperately. And we're not used to that in recent years, that being the case. But I really do think that if we did only, say, end up with two points, which, given our recent ability to throw away leads, wouldn't be inconceivable, then I think things will be very low. And it's not even just that those two games will be wasted, but we are going into a run of games overall, which... I know they involve quite a lot of away games, but they're a lot of teams that we would normally think were beatable. And I feel like if we are so deflated after this week, it could be really damaging on the whole of the season. So, yeah, I'm I'm really trying to think that four points is what we can do and what we'll get. Um, because if we don't, and I don't think it's the weirdest thing that we wouldn't, then I think we're in real trouble. Mm, yeah. West Brom is a ground we've had fairly mixed rewards on over the years. In terms of predictions, Adam, where are you going to go with that one? Uh, I'll go for one all. Okay. Lucy? I'm going to have to agree one all, I think. All right. Okay. Oh, Lucy, you're you're such a great predictor. <laughs> <laughs> um, Unless we're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually gone for West Brom to win this one 1-0, one I'm afraid, and pressure back on. But, I mean, I would still... Do you ever predict positively? Well, I mean, I've predicted us to beat Brighton, so that's... that's very uh, unusual. Okay. Um, Ben's probably more accurate, though. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, you see, as weird, as weird as it sounds, I mean, there's us talking about two draws that keeps Brighton and West Brom near us. Hypothetically, if we get you know, a draw against both of them, but you'd almost rather win one and lose one for the obvious reason that A, you get one more point and B, you're at least keeping someone else down there. So if the main thing is, as long as we can beat Brighton, start the week off in a positive manner, then hopefully we can get something at West Brom. But I just feel it's going to be a nervy affair and maybe one mistake either way will just uh, tip that game. Yeah, I do partially wonder if I'm predicting 1-1 out of hope because I'm going, but I couldn't work that one out. So we'll just hit with 1-1. Thanks as ever for listening to Total Saints podcast. My thanks also to Lucy and our regular Adam. Adam won't be here next week, but I'll be back again with a review of exactly what does happen this week and also ahead to the visit to St Mary's of Liverpool and all those ex-Saints. Have a good week. Let's hope Saints get the four points that they at least probably need. At least they're through to the FA Cup fifth round. And for that reason, we can keep marching in. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack 
for free shipping and 365 day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.